Hi, welcome to our podcast called Owning Your Recovery. You made the decision to look at your life from a different perspective and realize that the destructive behavior of addiction doesn't serve you anymore. The grip of addiction can be strong, especially when times are tough. This podcast has been created to remind you that ups and downs in life are normal and to provide you with the professional and peer-related insights and support in your recovery from illness to wellness. My name is Kinga Burjan. I'm a registered psychotherapist here in Ontario, Canada, and today I have the privilege of having my colleague, Lynn Trozzi, also a registered psychotherapist, on the podcast with me. Welcome, Lynn. Hi, Kinga. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I'm really excited to have you here today, especially since the topic we're going to talk about, IFS, is not a common type of therapy. And it's actually one that I'm also getting to know and one that is quite new to me. So I'm really glad that our listeners get a chance to hear this firsthand from someone who's applying it. So if we could start by you sharing what IFS is. Yeah, absolutely. So IFS uh, short for internal family systems. Um, uh, I guess I want to start, I think it'd be useful for the listeners to know that it is a therapeutic practice that uh, is considered uh, an evidence-based approach. So that means that it's gone uh, rigorous scientific scrutiny, right? And it's gotten that stamp of approval from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Services Administration. Okay, that's really good to know, because I know there are so many uh, different therapeutic approaches out there that aren't necessarily therapeutic and haven't been tested. So the Mm -hmm. fact that we know this is evidence based, hopefully will bring some ease of mind to listeners that might want to try or at least learn about this type of therapy and that they're not wasting their time, basically. That's right. And it's starting to gain a lot of traction in in both the trauma and addiction communities. Um, Noted speakers and authors like Gabor Mate and Bessel van der Kolk uh, and others are starting to mention it more and more because it the nice thing about it is not pathologizing. Right, Mm -hmm. We're not looking at at the person as having a problem, even if they're in active addiction. uh, We don't look at them as having a problem. We look at them as having a part. Okay, that is extreme. And using addiction to solve a problem or really protect a part of them, right, that has been injured in some way. And so we see it then as a self-correcting approach that then can be kind of unwound and then uh, the whole system relaxes and people wind up feeling better overall. So when you say self-corrective approach, especially for our listeners who are new to IFS, because it's called internal family systems, but you were talking about parts and that self piece. So can you expand, is this a family therapy or, or how is this therapy usually used? Yeah, so it was developed in the 1980s by a guy named Richard Schwartz. He was a trained family therapist. And so he worked with families taking a systems approach, meaning that the whole system is, is connected in this mm-hmm. case, in this case, a family system. Mm-hmm. He also was an individual therapist and he was working with in a large a group of uh, clients with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And what he noticed was that the internal dialogue of his uh, individual clients sounded very similar to the different family members and how they related to each other in a family uh, session. And so that's where that name came from. It's now our internal family. All of these parts are all parts of us. 
Oh, okay. That makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're broken into different uh, categories in a way within us, right? So we have uh, self energy, right? We have a part that Dick has called self and it has certain qualities like, you know, it's very cute. It's another C word, cute and clever that Mm -hmm. uh, they're all C words, right? And so those are curiosity, calmness, compassion, clarity, courage, creativity, confidence, and connectedness. We also could throw in playfulness, forgiveness, perspective, perseverance, uh, persistence. These are all qualities that when we are uh, engaged with them, when those are active in us, we're generally doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're achieving our goals. We're feeling well and healthy and and stable. We're not being overwhelmed by emotions. Mm -hmm. So, so in IFS, we talk that we talk about that as uh, self leadership. We then are trying to create where the, the, the therapeutic approach is to deal with these other parts of us that refer to as protectors and exiles. Okay. So, Exiles are parts of us that have been at some point in time, uh, usually when we were younger, rejected or traumatized. And, you know, that doesn't have to be, you know, we often think of trauma as something that is a big thing, right? Like there's extreme, you know, abuse of some kind. But that really, trauma is any point in time when we've been open and vulnerable and we've been hurt. Mm-hmm. And then another part of us will say, oh, no, that's never happening again. And then we have the birth of our first protector part. Interesting. And I know, too, the underlying themes of uh, clients that come to residence is trauma and or some type of rejection or abandonment. Absolutely. Right. So we see here that the addiction isn't a problem with the person. It's actually a solution to this prom- problem or issue of of the the trauma, right? Of these wounds, mm-hmm. right? That we carry. And so what happens is we, we don't want to feel that, right? That child at some point got overwhelmed, right? And we push it away. I don't want to feel that. And we spend then the rest of our life trying to push these parts or exile them. Mm-hmm. And then protectors come in, right? And they are, their job is to make sure we don't feel that. Huh? But the exile, they're, they're part of us. So they just want us to know their story. So they're constantly trying to come through, right? Trying to, uh, uh, you know, get us to know what they experienced. And how is that? So, how do they come through? Well, that's when we that word trigger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? When we become activated, something in our present time is very familiar to what happened back then. Mm-hmm. And then... They, they, that all those feelings come forward, which is why people will say, you know, why on earth did I act like that? Why on earth, like that situation did not warrant, maybe the person was insensitive, maybe the person was thoughtless, maybe that, you know, but why that intensity of response? Well, that's why, because it actually, you know, isn't from this present moment. It's something that we've been holding on to. So the other part of that are our protectors. Mm-hmm. These are these parts of us that make sure we don't feel those things. And we kind of break those into two categories. we got managers and firefighters, right? So managers are those parts that are preemptive. They're the ones that are trying to control everything. Okay. Right? 
So they, they try to control people. They try to control events and activities. They're the ones that have us always in the future, speculating. Uh, we know what people are thinking. We know what their intentions are. We, we can look in the future and we think we know how this is going to play out because they're always trying to plan and prepare, right? When that defense doesn't work, then we have firefighters. And they come in like a firefighter. They spring right into action if that exile is being threatened, right? Mm. Threatened to come through. So, and that is the addict is, an, is a good example of a firefighter, right? A firefighter is like, you know, substance abuse, uh, attempting suicide, binging on food, overspending, having affairs, disassociating, cutting. Those would all be examples of firefighters. So basically unhealthy behaviors or maladaptive behaviors. We call them extreme, right? These are parts that, you know, in the in, if the system wasn't, if it wasn't in a protector role, they would be taking on some other role in the system that was healthier. So for example, I'll often have clients who have, we all have a critic, right? The one that, you know, is really harsh mm-hmm. and demanding. I have often found that when that part, right, feels that it's safe. So remember, if we can heal the exile, right, then that protector doesn't need to do that job. They will often rather be a cheerleader or a motivator. Okay. Right. So, so they, it's not necessarily negative. It just, it's based on what else is happening in the system. They just become extreme mm-hmm. in their roles. Right. And so our goal is to understand them, right. Get their permission really in a way to approach the exile, heal that really just hear its story. Mm. Right. Um, from that perspective. And then We'll often find that either the protector either just softens, um, goes away, or it, it turns into a more um, helpful role. Okay. So when you were sharing, I had two different thoughts come up. One was when you were talking about the manager and it's kind of proactive role trying to control, you know, protect the person from what's to come. That kind of reminded me of the anxiety symptoms, that fear of the future, mind reading. So in the IFS approach, would would you spend time on, say, trying to reframe the thinking of the manager, or is it primarily just addressing that pain that the exile experiences and then the whole system shifts? Right. So we see it as we know that if there's something like addiction, that we know that there's, there's some, I mean, it's just uh, accepted now, right, uh, that there's some trauma there. But we don't go after the exile or the trauma directly, right? Because we know that there are these protectors like the addict. Mm -hmm. So we have the person identify what we call a trailhead, which is, you know, what part of them either they don't like or that they want to get rid of. And so we'll work with that. And it's the idea of just really guiding the person to be mindful, right? To notice, right? So say, for example, we want to get to know this addict part. Mm-hmm. We'll ask the person where are they noticing it in their body or around their body. Mm-hmm. People, this is all really intuitive and people will always be able to notice it somewhere. It's in my chest. It's in my throat. It's, you know, over here on the right hand side. And we just then will ask them, how do they feel about how they feel towards that part? This part that's angry at it, part that doesn't like it. There might be a part that likes it. 
because it helps them deal with things. And so there'll be all kinds of things. And we're just going to be keeping to asking those parts to kind of step back and give us space as we continue to get to know this target part. And as we go along, we're just going to be asking questions of it. We, we use the see, I hold self-energy as the therapist and IFS, we hold self-energy until the client has access to it. So I am engaging in these qualities of self start with curiosity. What does this part want you to know about itself? Hmm. What is this part afraid might happen if it didn't do this job? What would it rather be doing if it didn't have to do this? And we start just asking these questions about it. And, and people will always find that as they move closer to these parts that they've spent so much time, like hating and trying to get away from, that it's a really different experience. It's actually quite calming. It's actually really surprising mm-hmm. that the part that seems to be ruining their life is actually they get in there and start connecting with this directly and realizing that its intention is actually to protect them from something. That's beautiful. And as you're sharing too, I feel a level of acceptance, Mm -hmm. right? So accepting that there is this part of me, but doesn't mean this part's against me. Cause like you're saying, there's an intention, this part's actually trying to protect me. So if I can treat it with compassion and therefore treat myself with self-compassion, then that whole system inside me becomes more calm and connected. Right. And you just named almost all of the qualities Mm -hmm. of self. That's beautiful. So how does someone, like if we have a listener listening and they've most likely completed a treatment program of some sort and say they're dealing with this part of them that feels rejected what could you tell them? Is there a tidbit of information that could help them connect with that self energy? Yeah. Well, you just start with curiosity, right? So generally we want to get rid of this stuff. As soon as a thought comes up or this critic says, you're, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're lazy, you're useless, you're a loser. These big labels that, that our critics, right. will throw on us, you know, can't believe you did that and all this kind of stuff. Um, we tend to want to push it away. Don't think of that. And then that drives us to use even more, right? Or an individual to use even more. What we want then is to stop and engage mindfulness, right? Which is not so much of the idea of just being aware of something and letting it pass. In this case, we become aware of it. And we, we hold the, the quality of curiosity. We're like, hold on a second. That's some pretty strong language you're using here. Uh, and then I'll often advise people to, to force our parts to be precise in their language. Hmm. So, for example, it says, you're fat. Uh, and I have a part that says that to me. And it's, I say, well, hold on a second. What exactly does that mean? Mm-hmm. And as soon as you force a part to define and be precise, you'll find it's kind of Swiss cheesy. There's mm-hmm. a lot of holes in there. There's not a lot of... A, a definition. So then I say, okay, well, what, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe I'm over the BMI index that says for my height, maybe this is true. Maybe that is true. So that's precise, but, but fat, I can't work with. Mm-hmm. Once I get precise, right. Then I can say, okay, well, maybe I want to eat less. Maybe I want to exercise more. Maybe I want to practice self-acceptance right now. I've got some goals that I can set. So for our listeners, you know, they're going to have the craving. Craving's going to hit, 
right? Come out of Trafalgar. They've been, you know, following their discharge plan. They've been doing everything. Uh, and then they get hit with a craving. No longer is it that they have to use. Now the craving is a, is, is a part of them. Something's happening. Now they can say, oh, okay, well, what's happening in my environment right now? And if they think about it, they might realize, oh, I haven't really been taking care of myself anymore. I have stopped going to meetings. Mm. Maybe I'm going to meetings, but I'm not particularly engaged anymore. Maybe I'm a little on my phone. Maybe I'm not sharing, right? Maybe I have stopped exercising. So it's gonna, they're going to notice, you know, this part that's hit back in is really telling them that uh, something is happening and that care, self-care and some action, maybe of even self-abandonment is happening that needs to get their attention. So then it can, the craving can be an opportunity for self-corrective action. Maybe they've disengaged from life a little bit and they're bored. You know, maybe it, maybe they've been following this really healthy schedule for six months and they feel a craving. They can't figure out why it could be that it's time for a change. You know, maybe they've been jogging uh, and going to the gym every day. And maybe now the body feels like that needs some yoga, maybe some more gentle exercise. So it's just an opportunity for people now to investigate, right? What is going on in their life? I, I really love how um, you're able to refrain even a craving or something not going well. It's, it makes so much sense. And what you were sharing over the last few minutes there is an underlying piece that I'm just, I'm going to verbalize for listeners is this idea of observing without judgment. Because as you're saying, this curious part, you're being curious to look at these different parts. And rather than getting caught up in this belief of, or the feeling of the belief of, oh, I'm fat, you're taking a step back and going, wait a second, what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? And maybe I am over the BMI, but when you break it down into a fact, there's less emotional charge behind it. And there's uh, some space or differentiation between who you are. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person because you have uh, your BMI is a bit higher than what a, a another person might be. So I think by not judging, then we're less likely to fall into that cycle of shame and guilt. And like right. you said, use those perhaps... Um, unpleasant feelings or maladaptive behaviors as an opportunity for self-corrective action, as you mentioned. So I think that's such a great kind of nuanced insight for people in recovery uh, to be able to own what's going on for them rather than be a victim to it. Yeah. And in IFS, we would never use the word maladaptive. Okay. Because we see the whole thing as very adaptive. Mm -hmm. We have a wounded part. We have a young, vulnerable part you know, uh, that is still really stuck in time, still experiencing 20, 30, 40 years later, what happened to them back then. Mm -hmm. And so this whole protective quality, it's like the scab, right? Even though it might be ugly, uh, it's not a maladaptive thing, right? It's actually there to protect. So we've got these behaviors that are doing a job to make sure that that young child never feels that again, and the system doesn't get overwhelmed. So you're, you're, we're, that's what makes it confusing because these fear of loneliness, this fear of, of being rejected, this fear of worthlessness 
These are all things that the person can't quite understand because other parts of them, they know they have worth. Mm -hmm. They know they're capable. They know they can handle things. They know, you know, there's other parts of them that feel this, but there is a still a part of them that feels that that is a threat to their existence. Cause at one time it was, mm-hmm. they were threatened with being overwhelmed too much emotion. So the protector, it's completely adaptive then to protect that. So what we want to do then is to bring self-awareness mm-hmm. or access to self-energy Because really what is the problem here is the person doesn't have access to self-energy. They're completely blended with these feelings. And so in this mindfulness, in this moving closer to it, being curious, then we can start to separate because it becomes a part of it, not us. I'm not an addict. A part of me uses addiction to make sure I never feel like I'm, I'm so alone in this world that nobody's paying attention to me. I, I might actually very safety and existence is threatened. That's a, that's a big deal. Right. So these firefighters and managers, right. The, 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 the problem we could say is that they're extreme. It's not that they're doing these roles, but they're extreme in their behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's such a, such an interesting way to think about it. And I think by having that perspective, it will also reduce some of the shame around it. Well, that's what I really like about this, mm-hmm. right? Is that, and then if there is shame, we don't think of the shame as something negative. We get curious. It's a part, what, right? What is the <laughs> shame trying to do? And generally we'll find out the shame just wants to make sure you don't do it again, mm-hmm. right? These behaviors. So it's reacting to another part's behavior. So sometimes in the beginning, it, it seems the way I kind of frame it in my head is like, if you had a really small room and your whole family was in it, like all, you know, 50 of your family members are in like in a bathroom and you walk in and they all want your attention at the same time. And they all have different views about different. I hate her. And she said this, and it's really overwhelming. That's, that's when a person comes to therapy. Ideally I would grade if someone could come back a lot earlier, come in a lot earlier than that before, you know, 50 people are in their bathroom. (laughs) So, so the thing about exiles is although they, they, they are sensitive, right. They're, they're dealing with the, you know, uh, anger, dependency. They also have really great qualities that once they're those, those, um, uh, uh, the trauma has been healed. Um, then they have access to their innocence and their spontaneity and their openness and that's a lot of what we've lost in addiction, isn't it? Right? What people mm-hmm. leave. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful to to hear and to again, it's just so refreshing to hear a different perspective. Yeah. But what's going on inside, especially when at the time it can feel so overwhelming and the person can feel so helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that there's something wrong with them, right? Mm-hmm. Why can everybody else handle these problems and I can't? Right? Mm-hmm. And why why doesn't this happen to other people? So. It's very individual, right? And so these these parts, we just move closer to them. And then, then the healing begins, starts really, I always tell people the first step in healing, steps, unlock steps, self-awareness, self-compassion, self-awareness, self-compassion. That just starts the unblending. Once we unblend, we have more choice, we have more control, and then we have some space to do some of this deeper healing work. And it's so interesting too, I think, 
a lot of the underlying essences of their therapies that work effectively have to do with expanding your self-awareness and therefore you can help self-compassion as to why this is happening in your life. Yeah. And I now knowing more about IFS, it's like, wow, maybe this is the right tool or right uh, pathway for someone who does have a lot of those parts that can be confusing or overwhelming. Yeah. And, and we believe that um, in IFS that the person holds all the wisdom to heal. Mm-hmm. I, I have, sure, I have the knowledge of the, the, the process. Um, I hold self-energy till the person has more access to their own. And then I act as a guide. But you, you know, just get the person access to their system. And then I can ask what should happen next. And they know, mm-hmm. right? They can access a part of them because there's also the part of them that got them into treatment, right? They get a part that wants them to be healthy, right? That inner wisdom is there, right? So it for me, as the as the, an IFS therapist, I just help a person gain access to that. And it's all there and helping a person trust. It's a new skill. You know, it, it takes time to get acquainted with it. But once people get onto it, it's quite natural and intuitive. Yeah. And as you're sharing with me, um, even in therapy, I have a lot of just random visuals that pop up like metaphoric ones. Um, but it just, it sounds to me that as the practitioner, you're helping a person basically unpack kind of what's stuck or blended and, and help them kind of break it apart to bring more clarity so that they can see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And we know in that space, right in that space between, you know, what they're feeling and the thoughts that, that are so seem to be so automatic and some awareness of, Oh, I'm thinking that, Oh, there's that part of me. Oh, I don't really like the way you called me that we've got some space and now we have choice. We have choice in how we react to ourselves. We have choice in the way we respond to others. Mm-hmm. And in that is our power. And then now we start building self-worth. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just noticing the time, Lynn. It's been so enjoyable and hopefully beneficial for our listeners as well that you were on here and shared your experience about and understanding what IFS is. And I think there's a, a lot of good points in here, especially about the self, getting to that point of self-energy, um, self-compassion and awareness of all the different parts that, like you said, it's not, it, at the time it wasn't an adaptive behavior. It was actually all these parts working together for the person. Um, and I just think it's such a, a good way to look at the world in terms of, um, different opportunities for that uh, ability to have the choice and also the agency to know that you have a choice in moving forward and owning your recovery, owning your power to move forward in your recovery. Yeah. And I hope I was able to do justice to the model, you know, in such a short period of time is there's a lot of elements. So, um, well, if there's a, a subsection you'd like to talk about, you can always join us again. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoy sharing this stuff. Thank you, Lynn. It it was a great pleasure to have you today. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Goodbye, listeners. Have a great day.